2: Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What what are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives! What what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR, Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something.
3: There isn't.
4: I got baseball on the TV in here. Astros up four to nothing. That's what's on in the background for me tonight. You can hear both the ALCS Game Three, which is currently ongoing, and then you'll be able to hear the NLCS Game Four on our sister station ESPN 1520 throughout the night. What's up? It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR full sh- full show for you tonight. I uh, have a rooting interest on both sides baseball now. I'm going Astros, and I'm going Nationals. Astros, because I spent the weekend watching the the series with Yankee fans, and they're annoying. Um, Yeah. Would Yankee fans even dispute that? Maybe not as annoying as Red Sox fans, but whatever. So I'm rooting for the Astros and the Nationals. Because I read a story about how Dan Snyder, the Washington Redskins owner, who seems like he's kind of a jerk was really mad when the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. I don't know, because they were getting all the limelight now. Well, if the Nationals win the World Series, that's going to be double as funny that he's going to be mad about that. So I'm rooting for the Nationals, and they're up 3-0 in their series. They're dominating the Cardinals right now, so uh, that might go my way, but we'll see on the Astros and Yankees. Astros up 4 nothing, as I mentioned. A lot of Bills and Sabres talk tonight, mostly Bills. I spent a lot of time on the Sabres yesterday, and uh, no game tonight. They're going out west. Con, good sign, though, Connor Sherry back at practice, so that's a good thing. I think you would uh, hope that he can bring some juice to that middle stat line, whoever middle stat ends up playing with, that could help that along. But the Bills, the 16.5-point line is unbelievable. I've never seen a line like it. I've never seen the Bills favored this much. I don't really think it does say as much about the Bills, though, as it really does about the Dolphins. This Dolphins team is kind of incredible in how bad they are. There are so many stats. There was a stat about how Mahomes at one point, I don't think this is still true, but it was true, Mahomes had more yards in the second halves of games, no, the second quarters of games, I'm sorry, than the Dolphins had total passing all year. They're just painfully terrible. Just scored their first second half points of the season this past week against Washington. They are, to me, as big a non threat to beat the Bills this Sunday as you can get. But here is the thing the Bills were the same underdog on the road at Minnesota last season. They were 16 and a half point underdogs. And think of it this way early in the season last year, Everybody looked at the Bills the way they look at Miami right now. Maybe not their intentions, but how good they are as a team. People thought the Bills were tanking. Like, that was out there. Some people thought the Bills were tanking. They thought they were just going to be the worst team in the league. Or at least one of them. And it obviously started that way, right? To the season. The the game they put up in Baltimore, similar to the kind of game Miami put up in Baltimore last year. Then they get run over by the Chargers. You know, going into Minnesota, the Bills were kind of affirming everybody's belief that they were going to be the worst team in football. And then, just shocking the world. Running over the Vikings. Josh Allen jumping over linebackers. Getting 21 points like in the first five minutes of that game, it seemed. Jason Kroon caught a touchdown. Remember him? And The Bills ran over the Vikings. I don't really believe, though, that that performance is even remotely possible in this Bills-Dolphins matchup. I think this is Alabama versus the Citadel. This This is Clemson versus Jacksonville State. This is one of those early season college football games where there's just no way that the underdog is winning on the road like that. What is Miami good at? What are they supposed to be good at? They're not supposed to be good at anything because they're tanking. How are they going to move the football? That's the thing. For And the Bills have, this is for two games. This week and then, is it November 17th? November 17th at Miami. For Miami to pull off an upset, like the Bills did to Minnesota last year, they're going to have to put up points. And on this defense, I just can't. I can't see that happening. I can't. This game's almost not interesting in a way because doesn't the the outcome just seem so predictable? I mean, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to beat down the Dolphins, but I just don't really see how this game can go more than one way. The Bills will score whatever points they score, and Miami just will not be able to move the ball on them, and. They'll be single-digit points. Maybe they'll crack the double digits with some garbage time, but they will not be able to move the football. New England couldn't move the football. How is Miami going to be able to do it? Averaging under three seconds per snap before their quarterback is hit. That's incredible. Long-term picture, though, I will say this. They are as big a non-threat to the Bills right now as any team that I've ever seen the Bills play. But long term, I'm not ready to just throw out Miami as this big joke. I think they're doing the right thing. I think they really are doing the right thing. They're tanking. It's so clear that they're tanking. And I absolutely think that they're doing it the right way. They're bottoming out in a league where there's no lottery, in a draft class where there's several potential franchise quarterbacks, one of which is above the others right now, in Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama, a franchise-changing player. To be honest, as a Bills fan, I would have preferred if Miami kept going chugging along with Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback. I would have absolutely preferred that. Because even though If that Dolphins coaching staff and core of players stays intact, maybe they never trade Jarvis Landry. Maybe they keep Ryan Tannehill. Maybe they keep Frank Gore. Maybe they keep Laramie Tunsil, Adam Gase, Cameron Wake, Minka Fitzpatrick, all these guys, especially Tannehill. If they kept that together, they're a lot more likely to beat the Bills this Sunday, for sure. Still not likely, but a lot more likely. Like, it'd be possible. But long-term, what? nothing to be worried about. Nothing to be scared of. That is the team that I never want the Bills to become, what Miami was, with Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback. Once in a while, once every four or five years, they'll make the playoffs. They'll get in. Are they going to do much once they get there? No. But they'll be good enough to make the playoffs once every four years with that type of quarterback. And they settled for it. And they signed Tannehill to an extension. And finally, they decided, alright, we're not settling, settling anymore. We don't want the middle-of-the-road quarterback. We're going to find a way to go get the elite one. To go get the top-end guy. And what's the best way to do that? It's It really is tanking. It's bottoming out. It's getting to the top of the draft. And planning it out so that you can do it when there's a quarterback class, or a quarterback crop, where you're more sure than other years. Not the EJ year, not the Mariota-Winston year even, although those guys were more sure things than uh, EJ and Geno Smith for sure. But this year seems closer to 2018 with all those guys, with Mayfield and Allen and Darnold and Jackson and Rosen. There was a plethora of guys to choose from. And... You don't have the volume, like, you don't have five guys in this coming draft class, but you've got three, two of which, I mean, Justin Herbert out of Oregon, I don't think he's having that great a season. I haven't really kept up on this year's draft class in the past couple weeks, but going into the year, people were talking about, hey, if he had come out in last year's draft, he might he go to number one overall. So, or at least near that, behind Kyler Murray. Miami's doing the right thing, and I'm more worried about Miami long-term because of what they're doing right now than had they just kept going along with Ryan Tannehill. If I'm a Dolphins fan, I'd be all in on this idea. To me, what Miami is doing right now, they are doing something that Cincinnati does not have the guts to do. Cincinnati has been going for how long with Andy Dalton? Same thing. It's basically the same thing. It's a middle-tier quarterback, an average quarterback, where you can get to the playoffs with him, but almost everything around him has to be really good, and you're probably not doing much once you get to the playoffs. What kind of existence is that to live in? I would never want my team to do that. And here's the Bengals. They're talking about re-signing A.J. Green. Re-signing A.J. Green. He's 32. He's got a recent injury history. Who do you think you are, re-signing A.J. Green? That's what I would be saying if I'm a Bengal fan right now. Why are you signing A.J. Green? Do you really think you're going to be good? When do you think you're going to be good? Next season? How? How is that happening? Unless, maybe magically, they end up being worse than Miami over the course of this season. They end up with Tua. Which I guess could happen. They haven't won. But, I don't know. Cincinnati at least looks like a team that could win a football game. I don't think Miami looks like they could. They, they might go 0-16. Cincinnati might be terrible. They might be 3-13, and but they should win two games, three games. They're not historically bad. Here's Miami. Doing something that not every team has the guts to do. Oakland, I think they're having a good start this year, but they're kind of the same thing for me. Those three quarterbacks were always very similar to me. Tannehill, Dalton, Derek Carr. They're just good enough when everything is good around them. They could be a playoff team, but they're not doing much for you. The end result should be Super Bowl. Those guys are not winning Super Bowls for you. It's just not happening. It's not even possible, really. The amount of circumstances that would have to be going in your favor is just insane. So, I wish, to be honest, Miami was doing what Cincinnati's doing right now. Because I think Cincinnati, their plan for their franchise is a joke. And I respect what the Dolphins are doing right now. I really do. I respect what the entire AFC East looks like long-term. New England, once Brady retires, which could be five years from now, they seem to not really need a great quarterback to still be good. Like they, they they might they might need one to be a Super Bowl caliber team, but I don't know. I, I'm seeing they're finding ways to win games when Tom Brady's scoring nine points against the Bills. They're finding ways to win games a couple years ago when G, when Jacoby Brissett's their quarterback. Matt Castle, like I would at least have you know what I mean. I would have some sort of confidence that even if Brady retired tomorrow, I'd have some sort of confidence that New England's still going to be pretty damn good. Like they're not just gonna bottom out ever with that coaching staff. I just no way. The Jets. I'm gonna talk about them in a little more in a second. Like I, I respect what the Jets have long term. Maybe not with their coach, but I like a lot of pieces on the roster, and I like their quarterback. Maybe I like their quarterback more than other P- other F- Bills fans at least around here. But I like Darnold. He was really good against Dallas. I thought. So I respect them long term. In Miami, I think they are to be respected long-term if they end up getting Tua. Because then all of a sudden, you've got Brady still, and obviously he's Brady. Suddenly the Bills are surrounded by two other teams in their division that have good young quarterbacks. And I do think Josh Allen, I'm not saying that Josh Allen's not as good as those guys, but they've got company. On the long-term, they've got company. But I'm not trying to argue that right here, right now, the Bills are not, far and away, the second best team in this division. Even like the Jets, I think if the Bills played the Jets tomorrow, I, wouldn't pick, I would still pick the Bills to win, but I don't think it would be a blowout. So maybe on the field, I guess, I don't mean that the Bills are just so much better than the Jets, it would be a blowout. But I think they're a better team, and record-wise, they're way ahead of them. So you have two teams in your division for now that are non-threats. But on the long term, I think they are threats. And here's Miami coming in this week. We know all about tanking from our years with the Sabres. We know all the arguments to why it's smart. And whether it's unethical or not, it's smart. And you know I'll say? It? I'm a little worried that the Dolphins are doing a smart thing like that. Because I don't want Tua in my division. I don't think Bills fans will want Tua in their division. I guess at the end of the day, it'll come down to not just how good is Tua, but we, we've we kind of, it's, it's hard to compare because it's a different sport, but what we've seen with the Sabres is you can get that superstar, and it only matters so much if you can't fill out the rest of it competently. Like, the rest of it doesn't have to be great. Not like the Bengals, for instance. Like, everything's got to be great around Andy Dalton. The Dolphins will only have to be competent, I think, around a quarterback like that if they get one. But... Everything is so much easier when you have that quarterback. I think we're experiencing it right now a little bit with Josh Allen. Not entirely, but even though he's not lighting the league on fire like Mahomes did, for instance, or Watson, or some of these great young, like really great young quarterbacks in the league, but even a good young quarterback like right now with Josh Allen, who's had his hiccups, he's still throwing these terrible interceptions. We're seeing how much more confidence you have in the team even when you're down in games, and just how much easier it looks for them to move the football. They're moving the ball up and down the field. Everything's opened up. The running game is opened up. The short passing is opened up. And so much can be fixed by a young quarterback. The Bills have one. Jets have one. And Miami might be the laughingstock of the league right now, but I'm not laughing at them. Personally, I'm not laughing at them. The Bills will slaughter them on Sunday, but I'm not laughing at Miami. Not at all. In fact, if I were them, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Josh Rosen defender. I wanted the Bills to draft him. I would tell you easily right now he's the fifth of those uh, 2018 first-round picks last year. Like, not even close. He's getting no help whatsoever. But who would you want to see not only as a Dolphins fan, but as a Bills fan for the Dolphins on Sunday? Right now, I think Fitzpatrick gives them a better chance to win. It's Fitz; he just always finds a way. Once every three games, to just pull something out of his hat. And last week, he almost did that. Like if I'm a, if I, I experienced it with the Sabers, I remember when when guys in the team back then, like Tyler Ennis and and even like guys were scoring goals to tie games and win games, and I was mad. I, I I've done that dance. I can imagine a Dolphins fan right now is begging their team to that wants them to finish last, begging them not to play Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because, yes, he's not a starting quarterback in the league. But he just showed you, once in a while, he could win you a game. And he almost did that against Washington. He almost did it. So, if I'm the Bills, I think I'm hoping for Josh Rosen. And if I'm a Dolphins fan, I think I'm hoping for Josh Rosen. Because I think his style... Because he's just so immobile, and because he's such a rhythm quarterback, he does need the offensive line. He needs the time to be able to diagnose the defense and then decide where to throw the football. They don't have that for him. They don't have that infrastructure for him. And they are completely and utterly incompetent when he's their quarterback. He does need some infrastructure. He's not not Josh Allen from last season with the Bills. Where he can just, he uses legs, extend plays, and he'll make, he'll make magic work. That's not Rosen. Fitz is kind of, like, he'll give you a little of that. So, I'm going to be looking really closely at the Dolphins, like, training camp reports. Uh, Armando Salguero is going to join Chopin uh, the Bulldog tomorrow. Radio.com Insider, Miami Herald. I'm looking forward to seeing what he's saying. I wanna, I'm really interested to see who starts a quarterback for the Dolphins this week. If they're thinking long-term, it's Rosen. If their coaching staff is kind of in on the tank, at least a little bit, their head coach at least, with Brian Flores, Rosen starts, I think. If you see Fitz, then it's just kind of a head-scratcher. It's a weird one. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. I want to talk a little bit more about the Jets. I spent a lot of time yesterday on other teams in the AFC that could be a threat to the Bills. I'm not going to bring up the Jets as a threat to the Bills, and even though they're one and four, or they one and five, one and four, I don't think they're dead yet. And it's kind of like the Bills' argument for why I think the Bills are such a guarantee to make the playoffs. Look at the Jets' schedule break that down a little bit and I'll tell you why I don't think the Jets are completely dead yet especially with how weak the conference is right now. So the nightcap with Jody Biasi, 803-0550 is the phone number. We'll get into a little bit of hockey as we progress throughout the night and also the state of officiating and replay in the NFL, especially the officiating. After last night it's kind of, it's the talking point of the league right now because of how much a joke it has become. We'll tackle all of that as we, uh, as we go ahead here on the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Obviously Josh Rosen played well in their last two games against the Chargers and the Cowboys, but for the most part this year, whoever is the backup is more likely to play well in the game. That's (laughs) happened in three of the five Falcons games this year, so I don't know if there's any rhyme or reason
2: behind it, but the, the amount of commiseration that must be happening with I don't know how I'm supposed to succeed under these circumstances has to probably be the most dominant talking point in that quarterback room.
4: That man right there, who we'll hear from a little bit more as we progress here, Chris Whittingham, with Howard and Jeremy this morning, Dolphins Radio Network. A lot of good tank talk. I, mean, I missed some of the tank talk. I was thinking about that driving in here today. I wasn't here at the station yet when the Sabres were tanking, but like I remember the station that season. It was always, always good. And it was different, and it was not the same old, same old. Oh, we hope the Bills can get in like that. That's what that's what we do every year, basically. These teams kind of do the same thing every season. So, this this year's been different so far, but I I imagine the Dolphins fans are going through something similar. There are the people who get it, who to me are the biggest of diehard fans because they understand that. By your team losing, that's actually what is best for your team. You're actually, by rooting for your team to lose in a situation like Miami's in right now, you're rooting for your team. I, I would never, you know, go at a fan that's still like, like the Sabres were, were tanking. I would never go at a fan who maybe either didn't understand it or it's just like, I can't do it. Like, I'm going to root for my team to win. Like, I, you can't turn that off. I completely respect that and understand that. But in my mind, everyone that was doing that was rooting against the Buffalo Sabres. And I think Miami fans may be experiencing some of the same thing. I would look at a Dolphins fan that is rooting for their team to win this week against the Bills and say, you're not rooting for the Dolphins. You're not. You're rooting against their best interests. And at the end of the day, when you don't have a chance to win a Super Bowl, that's where your interest should lie. So at the end of the day, I don't want to get into a huge tank debate here. I mean, I'm welcome if you want to call in and engage on that. You're welcome to. I'll take calls in anything, um, including meatloaf and mushrooms. I'm gonna to get to that in a little bit. You'll you'll understand what I mean when I get to it. If you if you saw my tweet on at Sneaky Joe WGR, you'll understand a little more. But anyways, Bills Dolphins this week. I, I don't even want to ask the question. How much of a disaster would it be if the Bills lose this game? Because I just can't see them losing this game. I can't imagine the circumstance in which that happens. Like Knock on wood, the Bills could lose two quarterbacks in this game, both of them, and start playing uh, Dawson Knox, a quarterback, who I think is their emergency guy because he played quarterback uh, maybe his first year in college and high school. I'm not kidding. I might, I might think with Dawson Knox, a quarterback, they could still win this game. I just don't see how Miami scores. I don't see it. 8030550 is the phone number. Let's go to Jonathan and all them. What's up, Jonathan? Hey, Joe. Um... I pretty much agree with what you said in the first segment. Um, as far as Josh Allen
2: and the Bills go, I, I think they'll definitely win. But I won't be happy if they win the same way they have been winning the first seven weeks, where it's low scoring and they get enough of the defense. I really want Josh Allen to break out the three hundred, break three hundred yards, and for us to blow out the Dolphins. Because I, we now we really need to see Josh if. if if the, if the Dolphins get a Tua, uh, then I really want need, and then we really need to see Josh Allen take that next step towards becoming the franchise quarterback.
4: Yeah, I get that. There'll be more pressure to it, but thanks for the call, man. Like, you look—it's all about your competition in the conference and in your division, even more so. And Darnold's respectable right now, and the Dolphins don't have really that at all. But if they go get, if they end up with Tua. At some point, you're going to have to start thinking about Miami, I think. It's not yet, and it probably wouldn't even be next year with him as a rookie. There's just not enough around him, but if it even happens. But it's something to watch out for long term. It really is. The Jets' schedule. You think the Bills' schedule is easy? The Jets' schedule after this week, they might very well get back into this thing. I don't think they catch the Bills. I think they're way too far back. Are they three games back right now, and they don't have the tiebreaker at this moment? I cannot see them catching the Bills, but hey man, they're two games back of a playoff spot with this schedule coming up. I think they get to 500 in this stretch they got coming up. After New England, which is Monday Night Football at home, and I will say this, the Patriots have had one tough game this season at the Bills, and they struggled. If they don't get a blocked punt in that game, they probably lose to the Bills. The Jets, their only two games with Sam Darnold was a one-point loss to the Bills where they led 16-0, close loss to a really good team, and they beat Dallas, who's at least somewhat good. So, the Jets are not a pushover, and New England has seen all pushovers except for the Bills. This will be their second toughest game of the season. So I wouldn't honestly even put it past the Jets to pull off this win against the Patriots. I still want to see what New England is against some more good teams before I just crown them as the Super Bowl favorite. They're certainly the AFC favorite, but there's some good teams in the NFC. And I'd like to see a little more challenge from New England before I take that last step with them and really stop thinking about the division for the Bills. After New England, the Jets go to Jacksonville. Not a tough game at all. At Miami, gimme. Home to the Giants. They're better with Daniel Jones in there than Eli, but they're still not that good. That's, a, that's an easy game, I think. At the Redskins, that's an easy game. Home to the Raiders, who have a winning record right now, but I'm, I'm not sold on them at all right now. I'm not. The Jets will be favored in that game. I think right here, right now, I would tell you the Jets are a better team than the Raiders. And I don't think that's crazy. And that game's at home for them. And that it'd be their toughest game of this stretch. Home Raiders. Then they played the Bengals on the road, who have yet to win a football game. And then they host the Dolphins. Let's just say they do lose to New England this week. Which they probably will. I think the Patriots are a 10-point favorite, last I looked. Let's say they lose. They go to 1-5. Almost every team in NFL history would say that team stinks and that team season is over. But with a stretch like that, seven games. Jacksonville, Miami, the Giants, Washington, Oakland, Cincinnati, Miami. That is seven games that I'd pick them to win six of them. I'd pick them to win six. Right there. There's your 500 record. You're back at 500. Even if they're one game below that, if they go 5-2 and two in that stretch... They would have a losing record, but the way the AFC is going right now, I'm not too sure they might not be only a game or two out of the playoffs at that point. So, I don't think, again, I don't think they catch the Bills because they're just way too far back. But, man, I I would not be stunned. I I respect this Jets team. I don't, the only thing I don't respect about is their head coach. I just think Gase is just kind of a goof. and I think he's just, just way over his head as a head coach. And that matters. Don't get me wrong. That matters. But I like the quarterback. I think the front seven on defense is really good. I think Jamal Adams is one of the, is maybe the best safety in football. In fact, I would call him the best safety in football. I'm not even going to couch it. I think Jamal Adams is the best safety in football. They got him. Le'Veon Bell is a really good running back. I really do like the receivers. I think they're really underrated in the league. Robbie Anderson is a burner downfield. We saw him torch the, the Cowboys last week. Jamison Crowder is a really good slot receiver. They have not had Chris Herndon yet. They're starting tight end. I think he's the best tight end in in the division. He's great. So they've got pieces. I guess at the end of the day, for me it comes down to, I think those pieces are good enough to overcome what their coach is right now. In part because of what their schedule is, kind of like the Bills. And they have an even easier schedule in the next month and a half than the Bills do. So... All I'm saying is just don't don't be stunned if the Jets start to make a run here. Which might be crazy to say because they're 1-4. and But it was an impressive win, I thought, over over Dallas. And Monday Night Football is going to be really interesting next week. Jets, Patriots, I'm going to be into that game. This is the best, I think this is the best prime time schedule the NFL's had all season. Sunday Night Football is really good. I'm not always here for Cowboys in prime time, but Cowboys-Eagles for first place in the NFC. So that's a good game. I think Jets-Patriots is a better game than it might be, than it might look like on paper. I think that's actually a good game, especially with it being in New York. And then, what's Thursday Night Football this week? I thought I thought I saw Thursday Night Football was pretty good. Chiefs-Broncos? That's actually not that great. I know Denver's won two in a row and Kansas City's lost two in a row, but come on. Flacco? Really? That team's not good. The Bills will beat them, especially at home. So, all right, the Thursday night game is not the greatest, but I I really like Sunday night football and Monday night football this week. And watch out for the Jets. 803-0550 is the phone number. talk a little bit about the Sabres before I get back into football and go uh, into the replay and uh, officiating stuff that's going on right now with the league in the second hour. And uh, also, Mike Pereira, I think he'll be our interview of the day in the second hour. Mike Pereira. NFL rules expert for Fox, former referee, was on with Mervin Tasker earlier today. We'll play a little bit of that coming back. Even he has trouble explaining it, and I think that's maybe the most interesting thing. You've got this guy who used to be a ref, and even he's having trouble explaining what's happening right now. That means something big, drastic needs to change. It's a nightcap with Jody Biase. Give me a call in the next five minutes at 803055.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the twelve precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries, so that you can overthink. What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your
2: first three orders while supplies last.
4: Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We'll get you right on here on WGR. Welcome back to The Nightcap with Jody Viasi here on WGR. Was actually going to going to bring up that food thing I was going to bring up here, but uh, I'm going to have to hold off because we have breaking news in the NFL.
2: This is WGR Sports Radio 550 Breaking News, powered by Radio.com Sports.
4: I guess that can uh, be played even though when it doesn't relate to the Bills and Sabres, right? The Rams have traded two first round picks and a fourth round pick to Jacksonville for Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey is on the Rams. And one team in the AFC that, you know, was struggling, they're 2 and 4, but I guess they're still in the playoff hunt. They get uh they lose their best defensive player. Maybe their best player overall. Ramsey to the Rams for two first-round picks. He, you know, he was an idea we talked about for the Bills. He was. I don't think the Bills needed him because Levi Wallace has really come on strong as a good starting corner in the league. Travis White's a lockdown guy. But, man, the appeal of what just in your head, just imagining Ramsey and White as one of the better corner combinations that you've seen in the league in years was enticing. But, man, when when, when I was bringing up that idea as something I was interested in for the Bills, two firsts, no way. I was never liking that idea. I'm very happy they're not the team that paid that. But maybe you're starting to see a trend here. Jalen Ramsey goes for two firsts. You saw Khalil Mack go for two firsts. All pro players in the league seem to cost two first-round picks nowadays, at least. If the Bills wanted to go trade for Von Miller, it's going to cost them two firsts. If the Bills wanted to go trade for Stephon Diggs even, maybe it might cost them two firsts. Star players are getting dealt more often now in the league... And the prices are going up big time. Two firsts for a cornerback is a lot, especially one that makes that much money. But the Rams, their window is now. Like they're trying to win a Super Bowl. And to me, they're in a different spot than the Bills. The Bills are not, obviously, they're trying to win a Super Bowl this year, but that's not the expectation. The Rams' expectation is Super Bowl or bust. Their season, almost like similar to like Kansas City or New England or um, some of those teams right at the top. If they don't win the Super Bowl, their season's a failure. The Bills do not have to win the Super Bowl for their season to be a success. They win a playoff game; it's a success. They make the playoffs, even. I think it's that's a good question. I stopped myself from saying it because I'm not sure. Would you say the Bills just making the playoffs right now is a success? I... It's hard for me to say that, I guess, because I think of it more as a given than a success. I think of, they miss, it's an epic collapse. And, I don't know. That's a good question. But a team that's just trying to make the playoffs and maybe win a game, or two, that team's not trading two first-round picks, I think, for an all-pro player. And here's another guy that gets dealt, and that's the price. So, if that is kind of the the going rate for an all-pro player that's available in the league today, then count me out on some of these trade ideas we've had for the Bills. I don't want – A.J. Green, The reported price is a first. No thanks. If I have to give up two firsts for Stephon Diggs, I love Diggs, but no thanks. Von Miller, same thing. He's amazing. He's maybe the best passer in the league. I got to give two up two firsts for him? No thanks. no thanks. Maybe if the Bills win a couple playoff games this year and next year they look like the next best thing in the league, then we can have that conversation. But they're not there yet. They're not where the Rams are, where they just did. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. I'll take a break a little bit early here. Actually, before I do that, I got uh, I got Ian hanging on hold here, who uh, has something to say about the, my Jets comments from the last segment. Ian, what's up, man? You're on the nightcap.
3: Hey, well, I I just caught the breaking news. So, uh, wow, a couple things. So, I was going to comment on your uh, Jacksonville's an easy win, even though they hung in with New Orleans. I mean, I believe Ramsey paid. So, let me get off the Jets thing for a second. Okay. Um, Let's not pump the brake. Let pump the brakes on the Jets because the Cowboys they beat the they beat the Skins thirty one twenty one. They beat they played Miami and they played the uh, Giants with Eli. Okay. So I think with with the Giants switching to Jones and Barkley being back, uh, I think that's a much more competitive game. But let's let's go over to real quick what happened with Ramsey. So why Ramsey? Why they had to give up two first-round picks? Ramsey's in his third year in the league and he's an All-Pro. Von Miller would not be two first-round picks. It would be a first-round pick. I wouldn't give up a first-round pick for Von Miller. He's on, you know, he's thirty. You know, once you cross that threshold of thirty and beyond, no thanks. But Ramsey, he's still on his rookie contract. Of course, he's going to fetch two first-round picks. You've got to look at the age as to to these players. Yeah. I would give up two first-round picks easily for Jalen Ramsey. But that's, that's not only what the Rams did. They got rid of Marcus Peters. They got something in return for that. They got a center from the Browns, who was a second-round pick um, last year. I mean, the Rams are balling today.
4: Yeah, Ian, thanks for the call. Like, I, I would, at some point, if I'm the Bills – You know, and things go well, you want to be in a position where the Rams were today, where you can make a big move like that, but hey man you make a good point about age but Von Miller is a Hall of Fame level player if I'm Denver, I'm not trading him for less than that, I think so I get your point, that would make it less appealing for the team acquiring the player but that doesn't mean that that wouldn't still be the asking price, and I think it would be so I kind of disagree there Ramsey's in his fourth year, and that does matter, but Von Miller, when you get a Hall of Fame level player like that, I just think that's that's what it costs, especially when a guy is at the peak of his powers like that. This isn't even A.J. Green who's had injury questions and is three years older than Von Miller. This is different. So, and, and on your Jets point, man, it, it's so it's so funny. You can say that about every team right now, and that's not a to even counteract what you said cuz it's true but who's beaten anybody really every team in the league who's beaten anybody new england hasn't beaten anybody really except the bills it's one team who's got more than two good wins maybe this is just the quality of the league right now maybe it's just with all the quarterbacks being injured that you're staring down all these backup quarterbacks and they will all look like easy wins and the AFC just being straight trash this season. I don't know. It just feels like every team in the league, you can just look at it and say, well, who have they beaten? And who's really who's got quality wins? I'm sure there are teams on the NFC side that I'm not thinking about right now because mostly I've been thinking about the AFC because of the Bills, obviously. Um, but like let me just the Seahawks, for instance. Like, who's who Seattle beat? I'm just gonna look real quick. They beat the Rams. That's a great one. Lost to the Saints. They beat the Steelers without Roethlisberger. They beat the Bengals by one. They beat Arizona. And they beat Cleveland. Like, yeah, even them. Like I think Seattle's really good. And they, they have one really good win? I don't know. That just seems to be happening a lot in the league right now, I guess, with all these backup quarterbacks, all the starters getting hurt. Anyways, um, meatloaf, mushrooms. I tried a couple of foods that I hate this past weekend. And I came around on one of them a little bit. I'll let you know which one that is. And I got some thoughts that people have been piling on on Twitter about this that I'll go through too. Um, And then officiating. Officiating in the NFL right now. It's just unbelievable. We'll get into that in the second hour as well. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi, 803 for your thoughts here on WGR.
2: UGR. Uh, give me the offensive lineman for the Packers who was last introduced during pregame introductions. Kramer. Not as incorrect. That's a good guess, Kramer, because, you know, he was on that line. So it's not Kramer, and it's not Forrest Gregg, and it's not Thurston. So there's only a couple more. Time to relax and rewind. Rick, the final Packer offensive lineman. Announced during pregame introductions in Super Bowl One. Howard Simon. No, it's not him. There's only one more. There is only one more. There is, does that say, one more? It's not Kramer. It is not Bill Curry. It is not Howard Simon. Um, Forrest Greg. No, I said it's not Forrest, damn it. It's not Forrest Greg. It is not Kramer. It it's is the not- best of WGR. This is the garbage you give me. Zach, who's the lineman? And I'm going to say Bill Curry. No, I just said it wasn't Bill Curry, David. The nightcap on WGR. Sports Radio 550.
3: Yay! Yay!
4: The recap of last segment, if you missed it. Kinda. Two foods I hate that i tried over the weekend. Meatloaf or gave a second chance. Meatloaf and mushrooms. One of them I've come around on. Meatloaf. If cooked properly, little barbecue glaze over the top, nice and juicy. Pretty good. Not gonna lie, like pretty good. I'm a fan. Not a big fan. I've had some bad experiences in my in my time with meatloaf, but all right, I, I see what's going on here. I get it. Mushrooms, though. I don't know how anybody eats them. I, do, I don't understand it. The texture is gross. The taste is gross. Everything about it. I, I don't get it. Someone help me understand why people eat mushrooms. Who was the first person that looked on the ground, saw a disgusting-looking mushroom, and said, Oh, I'm going to eat that? What? Who was that person? I guess there's a bunch of foods like that, though. Who's the first person to ever eat an oyster? Same, same. Maybe it was the same dude. Or gal. I don't know. I can't do mushrooms. I can't do mushrooms. But I will say this meatloaf, I've come around on it. The barbecue glaze was great that I had it with. I understand. But I don't understand the mushroom thing. I don't understand the mushroom thing. But Don, there's a couple people on Twitter, Randall. They don't understand why I don't like mushrooms. Uh, I guess it's just one of those things. Then we got into a conversation, by the way, on what the worst loaf is, and it's olive loaf. It's olive loaf. If you like olive loaf, you don't know how to eat. (laughs) It's both, what is it, bologna with someone stuffed some green olives in a piece of bologna? Terrible. Horrible. I did not give that a second chance. That doesn't deserve a second chance, olive loaf. Will not happen. Maybe I'll come around on mushrooms. I don't know. It happens. I started liking meatloaf this weekend a little bit. I hated it forever. Coffee. I didn't really drink coffee until I got to probably a couple years ago. It's been a while, or it had hadn't been hasn't been a while since I've been drinking a lot of coffee. That's one of those acquired tastes, I guess. Maybe mushrooms is an acquired taste. Or I feel like that's something you should just know that you like or not. How many? If I put a poll up right now, do you like mushrooms? Is that like is that a ninety percent yes poll? Like what are we talking? How big is the how small is the minority that I'm in on this? Because I'll admit it, I'll admit that I'm weird if if I'm like the only person out there that just can't stand them. But it's just I can't imagine that I'm alone. I just can't can't I can't imagine it. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. I want to get full swing into... Uh, i got some text flowing in already. I'll uh, pick out my best ones, and maybe I'll read them a little bit later on this. <laughs> There's a really funny one just came in. I'll definitely read that later. Before that, though, I do want to get back into football here before we get too far away from it. And um, what happened yesterday on Monday Night Football, the officiating, the replay, all of it. Before I get into it, though, give... You know, a professional, a real professional on this subject. uh, Another go here on the air. Um, Mike Pereira, Fox Sports, former referee, rules analyst for Fox. Good conversation, I thought, with with Murph and Tasker earlier today. Here's what he thought. Here's what he thought and thinks of what's going on right now in the league with a special
0: guest, a timely guest on the line with us right now. He is the rules analyst for the NFL on Fox, former NFL vice president vice president of officiating and former NFL official. Happy to have Mike Pereira on the line with us. Mike, good afternoon. John Murphy and Steve Tasker up here in Buffalo. we got a lot to get to, but I want to check with you and see how you made out with your Battlefields to Ballfields golf tournament in Rochester back in mid-June, the first one you had up this way. How did that go this past summer?
5: You know it was fantastic. We had over a hundred players and and we had i think it was sixty eight of them were either active um service members or veterans and uh they had a ball each branch of the service was represented um We had a terrific dinner afterwards. We had a great day for golf um, It was just a perfect day and 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 wonderful support for the foundation that you know has now grown to 230. Um, we have officials around the country now working on scholarship and, of course, a great uh, a great uh, group of them in b- the Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse area. So um, it, it's just been a great program where you guys are. It's
0: good to hear. Will,
1: we can count on you having another event like that year to year up here in this region, or are you going to move it around?
5: Well, I'm going to move it around a bit. I think if I wanted a year by year Jimmy DeBell would probably kill me uh, because <laughs> it takes a it takes a lot to put one right. of those uh one of those on but uh but it's just it's great exposure and it does it does raise money and we had great cooperation from the course itself and all the people in the Rochester area and and also support from people like yourself that talked about it uh you know prior to the event. So it was, it was very cool. Very
0: Mike Pereira cool. on the line with us, NFL on Fox, rules official. Almost hard to know where to begin, Mike. Is is the officiating is, is in as much of a crisis situation as it might seem, or are we just overreacting to some social media hype here? What do you think?
5: Well, I'd like to say that we're overreacting, but I just don't think I can honestly say that. Um, you know, I... Uh, it's just been a tough go. It's been a tough go really since the championship game in New Orleans last year with the big miss and, you know, in the pass interference play. And and I think it's uh, carried over into this season. And I, I was asked the question earlier today, and it's always a tough one for me to answer, um, you know, is the officiating better today than it was when I was there? Is it the same or is it worse? And, you know, I struggle with that question because I get it, you know uh, asked so often, and you know, I think really, after thinking about it i, I think that they actually top to bottom. there are better officials now top to bottom than there were back when I was there, but the officiating I do not think is as good and and the reasons you know are are complex, but probably not what people would generally think and and it has to do with the rules and it has to do with the communication systems that officials are privy to now, um, and and then the actual rules themselves that have brought judgment into instant replay, it has made the game harder to officiate, and in some ways it's allowed the officials to back off and rely more on the technology than we had to in the past. Yeah. And. You know the the I think one of the killers of it is is that you know everybody's wearing an earpiece now, and it started out, and I was for it when it first started out a new communication system which pretty much everybody's using now, even all the way down to the high school level, called the o two o and that's official to official, so that they could communicate directly to each other without having to go face-to-face and uh, and the idea was great the two basic ones you got a foul downfield you don't have to go to the referee you can just hit your button and tell him hey it's pass interference on 32 he can make the announcement and then you go A coach on the sideline who their team gets called for a foul and it's on the other side of the field he can say what 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 did he call what did he have <clears throat> and i remember <clears throat> excuse me i remember that well when we didn't have the system, you'd have to say, well, in the next dead ball period timeout, I'll go find out. Well, now you hit the button and say, what'd you call this guy? said he grabbed him by the shoulder at the top of the route, and that's why I called defensive goal. You go back to Coach Dunn, great. But it's morphed into now the replay official is on it, New York is on it, and and you got guys talking in your ears all the time, and and I think... I think that's hurt officiating, along with the fact that when you look at the leadership roles, you know, the, it's pretty hard to say that it's really stable when you've had four, counting myself, you know, in the last basically 10 years. Um, and and that change in leadership is, is always difficult for officiating. So a lot of reasons, but I, I do think it's more of a crisis um, you know, than than just saying ah, it's it's the norm because and mainly it's this whole it's this whole pass interference thing that has just yeah. got everybody upside down.
1: Yeah, and I was going to ask you there, and you're right. I, I think it is more difficult. Uh, the technology, while it seemed to make it seemed on the surface a, a great way to make it easier or more efficient, to officiate games it's actually made it more complex and more difficult and it started to affect their judgment and their willingness to throw a flag or keep a flag in their pocket I gotta ask you are there maybe some simple basic steps that you see that could help
5: well it's not gonna be easy I mean, and it, it's too simple for me to say let's go back to where it was when I was on the field where you had to make the calls yourself and you didn't have anybody telling you to move the ball from the 46 to the 48, or, you know, or, hey, wait a minute, you rule them out of bounds at the 43, push it to the 44. Um, you know, we had to make those decisions, and I think it made you, it made you a bit more decisive. But, you know, I, I think, and I said this today, and I don't really say it to be mean I just think the structure is broken and you know, and it can't be fixed with band aids. It's it's gotta be some something major. And I always was an advocate of what was tried in the AAF and that was the sky judge position, who is basically just an eighth official who can give his input in real time after looking at the video one time quickly and can make adjustments in the same dead ball period. You know, over things like in the AAF, we had a pass interference in the last five minutes of the game or player safety issue. You know, just like last night would be an example. If you if you had that guy upstairs, then, you know, on the Allison hit, I think it was, where he was knocked out and the penalty was called, that's not a foul. I mean, those guys had equal rights to the path of the ball and, and uh, you know, the defender was trying to intercept the ball. Well, he gets defensive player protection also. It's just one of those collisions that happens, and guy upstairs could see that one time for replay and say, hey, not a foul, pick it up. And everybody would say, good deal, good deal. And we didn't have to go to replay for three minutes to do it. I think there are some big fixes like that that the um, competition committee and the owners could talk about. Now, whether they're going to talk about it in the next couple of days in their meetings uh, in, in uh, Florida, I don't know. But then the other thing is that the the rule – for pass interference allowing it to be reviewed just has to change because everyone is flummoxed by it and the reason that they're flummoxed is because they have created two standards of replay they've created a standard of what you expect to be called on the field versus a standard of what you expect to be used in replay um, and it, it's hard for a coach it's hard for um, a spectator it's hard for an owner it, it's hard for the head of officiating al riveron to say yeah, it's interference, but it doesn't rise to the level that is clear and obvious and egregious, you know, that would, allow, that would have replay change the decision. Um, Two standards, not a good thing. And, and I, I think if they, the, this whole thing of clear and obviously and significantly hindered, I think, has been stretched too far to try to get to what happened in the championship game in New Orleans. Um, and, And I think to straighten this out, you know, if it's a replay situation where a coach challenges that it should be defensive pass interference and you run the video and you look at it and it is defensive pass interference, then it ought to be added on by replay. Forget that it has to be so huge and obvious. If it's interference, it's interference. If it's not, it's not. And to me, it would make that, much easier and much more sensible may lead to a few more coaches challenging because they'll at least be fairly optimistic that it could be changed right now. There's no optimism that it could be changed. Um, but I think it would be, I think it would make sense to to everybody involved in the game. Now, uh, I, and I said this a little bit earlier today too, take this whole situation like happened at the end of the, giants patriots game on the pass to tate you know that's interference i mean there's no question it's interference but it didn't rise to the level wasn't called so it didn't rise to the level that replay would put it on well make that week 17 when the bills are playing for a spot in the playoffs and have it keep them out of the playoffs because it didn't rise to this subjective ambiguous level and, boy, it'll be
0: horrible. Yeah. Mike Pereira, so. our guest NFL on Fox Rules Analyst. Mike, two-part question. Where did that clear and obvious standard come from? It just came out of nowhere, right? Second part well, of the question, it it appears to me that the officials are not interested in using replay to challenge Pass interference, offensively or defensively, and knowing that it's just a one-year experiment, they might be thinking we'll just get through it this way and it'll be gone next year.
5: Well, they might think that until they get downgraded for not calling it, and then their chances to work in the playoffs get blown off. So yeah. I, I don't know that that's it. I, I just, I just think that I think it's a bad rule. Look, at, I think it's an overreaction, and it's not the first time that the league has overreacted and put in a rule change based on one play. And and. That's really what happened here. And, and I was part of that back in my days. We overreacted sometime when a play like that happened, changed the rule. Mike Holmgren used to say, I remember Mike Holmgren said, let's not change the damn rule over one play when he was on the competition committee. And he's right. Yeah. He, was, he, he was right. And, uh, you know, to, to me, it would have been much simpler to use a... Maybe a time period, you know, the the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. Because in that game last year in New Orleans there was pass interference, a big one that was missed in the first quarter. Anybody know when that was?
0: No. Yeah.
5: No. Where did the because clear and obvious, at the end of the game?
0: Where did the clear and obvious standard come from? How did they Well
5: clear and obvious is in the book. It used to be indisputable visual evidence and they thought that was hard to say, so let's just say clear and obvious. So they put clear and obvious in the rule book about three years ago, I think it was, and uh, and that's when that verbiage showed up. But that replaced, you know, um, indisputable visual evidence. It's just easier to say. But it, <laughs> this particular rule takes it even – stretches it even further than that. Michael,
1: this Mike, this this um, clear and obvious and this ability for coaches to challenge uh, offensive and defensive pass interference, whether it's cold or not, it really seems to me when it happened is a paradigm shift. You're right. I mean, I um, – it, this happened because of the missed call in the nfc championship game this last january and i and for me to say that the new orleans saints were were there the mistake that cost them a chance to win that game uh, was any more egregious than any one of the dozen or two dozen other egregious calls in the past decades is wrong i think that you know if the saints want to say that they were somehow treated worse than any other team. they got to get in line for that. I mean, so why did, this, why did this rule get changed when there have been so many other calls or non-calls over the course of the hundred years of the league that have you know, caused teams' seasons to end or continue, whichever side of the coin you're on? Well, why did this one call all of a sudden change all of that? And now they're going to make this huge sweeping change that they've never really dipped their toe in, into.
5: Maybe the stars lined up, huh? Because the coach of the team that got hurt by that missed call happens to be on the competition committee, and so maybe he goes into the competition committee with a, an agenda that he's got to come back with something, and, um, and 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 I I do think that swayed the whole notion of bringing in something to address that play, and then the coaches got involved and. They liked the sky judge idea, but then that wasn't going to go away, and then they got pushed to accept this challenge notion. But I do have to wonder if there, if Sean Payton wasn't on the competition committee that, um, that there wouldn't be a new replay rule.
0: Uh, just a minute or two left with Mike Pereira, former NFL vice president of officiating uh, league owners meeting in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, right now, today, tomorrow, I believe, Mike. And, Al Riveron is there. You, as vice president of officiating, you probably went to these meetings. Is there a chance that at these meetings the owners get together with uh, Al Riveron and say, "Hey, this isn't working. We got to change something. You got to change it now." In you know six weeks into this 2019 season, can they can they adapt that quickly and make a, a, any kind of a change? You think that quickly?
5: Sure, sure. You, I mean, let's look what happened last year. I mean, if you talk about last year, remember the first two weeks we had this outbreak of landing on top of the quarterback with yep. all or most of your body weight. And it was being, you know, it was being called so much that there was a conference call with the committee and, and uh, Roger Goodell and, and uh, you know, that, that they were they were actually over-officiating the play when it was just a point of emphasis and you got to give a chance for the guy to brace himself in his fall. And then what happened? They went down. You know, they went down substantially. Let's look what happened in week two of this season. Um, how about how about oh, see actually week three, Hold. about the number of offensive holding, holding. calls? Yeah. yeah, and so then conference call with the referees, and now it 's down to a level that was less than last year um, over <laughs> these past uh, three weeks. So certainly adjustments can be made now i don 't think they, they couldn 't scrap the rule, but there are some logical minds there that could say okay we've we 've created a monster here let 's just go to the simple notion of when replay gets involved. It either is or isn't, and then we'll make the judgment based on that, not by this huge thing trying to reach what happened in the championship game last year. That's certainly a possibility.
1: Well, what what do you make of the calls like, like, for instance, and I told this to Murph earlier in the show, that players and coaches really are more – grieved by calls that are phantom calls than they are by calls that are missed Um, you know you can live with a call when an official didn't see something but when official calls something that didn't happen like the hands to the face call last night in the Detroit Green Bay game isn't that even that's kind of to me and maybe you disagree to me that's the most egregious thing when you think you see something that actually didn't happen uh, and it does affect the outcome of the game like in last night's Monday night game.
5: Well, when you see something that doesn't even near happen, and that's what, to me, a phantom is when you call something that is just no possibility of being there, we're all jumping on this illegal hands to the face, and yep, they weren't right, but remember, you can't use your hands to the neck or head area uh, in blocking like that, um, either rushing or if you're past blocking. and it's the neck or head and so if you're the umpire and and this guy grabs the collar of the jersey right below the neck in real time now real time you got to make that decision i can see why the call was made wrong but you're talking about you're talking about really steve you're talking about probably less than a foot maybe a foot right. difference from being on the collar to the neck and the other one which ended up being you know to the left shoulder versus the neck just to the side it's so easy in slow motion to see that, but come on, in real time, it's, it's tough. And this is a veteran guy who's not going to be happy with himself after he sees it on uh, video, but I-, I can see why he called it. I mean, it's not like it wasn't near a foul. So it's tough, but those you have to play through, those judgment things you have to play through, it's when the rule complicates the issue, like with catch-no-catch, no catch, like with pass interference-no-pass interference, no pass interference. Those are the situations that drive me nuts, that make it hard on the official and hard on the vice president of officiating to try to figure out where the line needs to be drawn. And, you know, more and more gray area is getting into this game, more and more replay is getting into this game. And... I have to admit, I'm just getting a little bit tired of replay, well, period.
0: <laughs> Thanks. You're on my side oh, now, no. Mike. Mike, last thing I have for you, and in your role, your former role as vice president of officiating, what's the discussion at these meetings this week and even, you know, during the off season? What damage is done to the game when uh, there's so much focus on officiating like this?
5: Well, they don't want it. I mean, listen, if the league had its way – uh, Blandino and myself probably would still be in the office, and Steratore and Perry and McCauley would still be refereeing games. I mean, they, they would rather be rather the conversation be about the teams and the players. I get that. But let's face it, the officials are a team, and uh, and they are a part of the game, an integral part of the game and to try to sweep it under the carpet like they used to do, I don't think is right. I think there needs to be transparency, and there needs to be people that talk about officiating both in the negative and the positive. So um, I I think they'd rather the conversation uh, be about just the teams, but let's face it, with social media, that's never going to be the case anymore. With social media, everything, you know, basically originates from social media when it comes to officiating. So that's that's like a time gone by, and and you can't go back to that.
1: Well, that was gonna what I was going to ask. Can they put the genie back in the bottle?
0: No. Yeah. No. You mean replace here to stay? Not going to go backwards. Okay. <laughs> Mike, thanks for this. Great spending time with you here today. We appreciate it. You got it, Murph. Thanks, Mike. Steve. Thanks,
4: Mike. Mike Pereira, some good stuff from him. I will react to that. And we'll expand on this replay and referee officiating conversation when we come back. If you want to get in on it, 803-0550. Call in the next five minutes. We'll get you on uh, as we progress here. Half hour left. Baseball's going on right now. Different channel, I assume. I didn't change it. So I don't have a score to give you. Sorry. I'll let you know, though. It's the Nightcap with Joe Biassi here on WGR. Got just under a half hour left here on WGR. It's the nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Follow me on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR. Sabre games the next couple nights, but they're late games. Sabre's after dark, so I'll be here. I'll take you up until Sabres pregame tomorrow, 7 to 9. And then Thursday, I'll have an extra half hour. Pregame will start at 9:30 because Sabres Kings is at 10:30, so I'll be on from 7 to 9:30. The Nationals are smoking the Cardinals. 7-0. Seven, 7-0. Nothing. Seven, nothing. I'm not a big baseball fan, but it seems like they are they're doing something very rare in how badly they're beating down the Cardinals. They're about to sweep them. The Cardinals had three hits, I think, in the first two games combined. And here's Washington putting it away. I, I feel I feel good for that fan base. You can relate a little bit, especially for, as a small market team. Star players leave you once in a while. And here's Washington. They lose their franchise player, Bryce Harper. And it's like it doesn't matter. They, they're they going right there. They're going to the World Series. Barring an insane comeback here from St. Louis. They're 99.9% to, to make it here. So I, I uh, that's a big reason why I was rooting for them. So it's cool. It's cool that they're going to make the World Series here. We just played you, Mike uh, Mike Pereira. I always want to say Francesa for some reason, but obviously they're two very different people. Mike Pereira from Fox Sports, the rules analyst, talking with Murph and Tasker about replay and the officiating. You can't go back on officiating. Uh, you can't go back, back on replay. You can't do it. It's here. It's only going to be expanded upon. Unless, if you you could propose to me a solution for how to fix officiating in the NFL without increasing replay. But the NFL's not willing to do it. There was a story on the, uh, this offseason about how the NFL is now shelving their plan to introduce full-time referees to the NFL. I don't know about you, but back in my day, as a part-time employee at your college job, or your high school job, or what be, it you know, just in general... People in part-time jobs, for the most part, aren't going to be 100% invested as if they were full-time. Why in, why could you possibly not have full-time officials? The NFL made like $9 billion last season. You can't put a little of that towards officiating? Really? Because the way it is right now is not sustainable. You cannot keep doing this. The game is getting faster. The players are getting faster. The technology for replay is quicker than ever. Plays happen, and sometimes I wonder how how they do it on these TV networks. Where a play happens, and seconds later, you're seeing the slowed down exact angle you want to see. And everybody at home, in seconds, can see whether... It was a good call or a bad call. But yet, the guys in the field can't. For whatever reason, their technology, they don't want it to keep going. They don't want to keep developing. I think about soccer for this. Soccer's system, while not perfect, is lightning fast. It never takes more than 10 seconds. Ever. Ever. And here's football where minimum 10 seconds. It takes 10 seconds for the ref to walk over to the thing, the camera to look at, or the headset. There are so many better ways to do replay and officiating that the NFL just has not done and seemingly will not do. A sky judge put a guy in the booth in the booth that has the final say on every call. That's kind of what soccer is with their VAR. They have a room full of people that decide, and it takes it's super quick. Why don't we have that in the NFL? Why can't we have that in the NFL? Oh, because we don't want to take the final say away from the official. Guess what? We've reached a point where that referee, the referees in the NFL, the way things are going, don't deserve to have the final say. It's not the best way to do it. Why do they deserve it? Because that's the way it always was. No thanks. There's a better way to do this. And until, unless the NFL wants to get serious with what I think would be better, with younger, full-time officials that would be better served to keep up with the game for how fast it's gotten, if they don't want to do that, then replay's here, and replay needs to continue to be expanded upon. Last night, a game was basically decided... On a referee's mistake. That should not be possible. Other sports are taking that out. Hockey's not one of them, by the way. But other sports are taking that out. They're taking away the official's ability... To unjustly decide the outcome of a game. That's a good thing. Those are positive steps. And I know that... A lot of fans hate replay. And a lot of fans want to see it just scrapped. But your end result should be a more perfect system where every call is right. Maybe that's maybe that's impossible. But if your end result, your dream one day, is to have a league where every call, every important call at least, is correct, and you want to get to the most fluid system that gives you that. There's going to be some awkward stages along the way. There's going to be some time where it seems like it's never going to work. But you have to take baby steps with this stuff. Because in 20, 30 years, nobody's going to want to be talking about how a referee costs somebody a game. And you can't get to that point unless you do what they're doing with replay. Unless you continue to either take away... Decision-making from the officials, or go all in on them and say, you're full-time guys now, hopefully younger, better at keeping up with the game. The players are getting younger. Why aren't the officials getting younger? I, that's the one thing for me that just never makes sense. It, it never makes sense. We're expecting these 60, 70-year-old men, they're not probably never 70, but to, to keep up with the game at the speed it's going now. It's crazy. It's craziness to expect that. But stuff isn't even being attempted. That's what I don't like. They're not even trying to get better at it. I The thing I hate more in sports than ever is when people say that officials have a hard job. A lot of people have a hard job. That does not excuse doing a bad job for in that hard job. You would want to get the most talented professionals possible in that gig. Invest in them to be able to fix that instead of just throwing your hands up and saying, that's a hard job. This is how it's going to be. That's not good enough. It's not good enough at all. Especially when this league has this amount of money coming into it every year. Invest a little bit more in all of this because it sucks. It sucks that we're talking about on the Tuesday after Monday Night Football that we're talking about something the referee did wrong, which he absolutely did, horrible calls. We're talking about that instead of, you know, arguably the best quarterback who's ever lived in Aaron Rodgers bringing his team back at home against a division rival and talking about how great Aaron Rodgers is. We're not sitting here talking about that. And that's one of the big problems with the league right now. Big games, important games, exciting games are being tarnished by officials. And the league is not doing almost anything about it. They're at least they're doing a little, just by expanding replay. But even that, the whole pass interference thing right now is just stupid. It's just so stupid. You either have the replay for it or you don't. It's in the rule book that you can challenge pass interference. And I don't. Know if there's a silent protest going on about the officials right now, or the league told them not to call it in the regular season, not to change it in the regular season. But there's a system in place to correct mistakes right now that is basically just for show. I think the stat was 7 out of like 40 challenged pass interferences this way have only, have been changed. That's it. When time in and time out, we are seeing plays on Twitter or on TV that are so clearly pass interference and that are so easy to challenge, but the refs won't do it because they... If, like I said, they're either doing a silent protest or something, or the league is telling them not to call it. That's the dumbest thing of it all. That's that's what hockey does. The NFL should be above that. Hockey's the league that has rule in pl- rules in place that they forget about. Once you get to the third period, the NHL doesn't have a rule book once you get into overtimes and in late third periods in the playoffs. They don't have one. Just this... Way of thinking that the NHL has. The NFL, here we go. It's just, hey, it's in the rule book, but uh, regular season, we're not going to worry about it. What are you talking about? If it's in the rule book, you follow the rule book. Don't be hockey, NFL. That's all I'm saying. Don't be hockey with the pass interference here. If you have the challenges for it, call it. Correct your mistakes. Don't Pretend that it didn't happen. Don't go watch the, the replay and say, yeah, it's pass interference, but nah, we're just going gonna to let it go. Terrible. It's a terrible job. The whole thing right now is just terrible. And it really frustrates me. Because there's nothing in sports that frustrates me more than how bad officiating is. When all these athletes are getting better, we're seeing some of the best hockey players we've ever seen in our lives. We're seeing some of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen in our lives. Everybody's throwing for 4,000 yards. All these athletes keep getting better and better and better. Everything in sports is getting better and better and better, except officiating. That frustrates me more than anything in sports. And today's a day where that's highlighted. Because Monday Night Football last night was consumed by a line judge or a ref that didn't know what he was doing. Talk a little Sabres when we come back to close out the show. Sabres are going out west. Connor Sherry and this whole thing right now with the team. Can we buy in? When can we buy in? Talk about that for a few minutes before we get out of here. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Last call on the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. If you've got any reaction to our officiating replay conversation, give us a call. Throw in some sabers before we get out of here too. Let's go to Rich. Rich, you're on the Nightcap. What's up?
3: Hey, what's up, Sneaky Joe? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Hey, listen, I watched the game last night, and, and I understand that the officiating was bad calls, but I want to give that offensive lineman some credit for selling it because every time Flowers grabbed him, he jerked his head back. He, he was trying to get the ref to throw that flag. I mean, players in and, 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 and basketball always try and sneak that foul in. And before the pass interference review, offensive players always tried getting that that penalty. Uh, they were bad calls, but we had better camera angles. The ref was standing behind the offensive lineman, and when you watch the I watched the replays, that lineman did a great job selling the hands for the pace. He jerked his head back.
4: Yeah, I mean I get what you're saying. I just I would like a I would like a a system at some point where players can't get away with that. selling something that didn't happen that doesn't warrant a penalty. So, I mean, I agree. The guy's Bakhtiari, I think, was the lineman for Green Bay. He's getting the ref to throw the flag, but he's he's hustling him. He's tricking the ref because the ref doesn't know any better. Sure, he's smart, but let's get someone in there that he can't trick. I had a... NCAA referee reached out to me during the break here that said that, made a, made a point on a stat that there's something like 11 officials in the in the NFL referee pool right now that come from nepotism. That, like, all the refs come from, like, five different bloodlines. And I don't think, I think that was maybe a little exaggerated, but... I mean, I don't dispute it. Gene Steratore's kids doing it. Hocules. I just wish it would all change. All of it. More replay, but quicker replay. Different refs. Younger refs. Full-time refs. The whole system. The whole system is just messed up. It needs a full sweeping change. And until the NFL realizes that needs to happen, these conversations will continue for as long as they want to keep going with this. Didn't really have enough time to get to the Sabers, but that's okay. I got a show tomorrow. We'll do like a free pre full preview of Sabers and Ducks. Full conversation on the season thus far. Five and one's a good start. Connor Sherry back at practice. That's exciting we'll talk then so thanks everybody for listening have a good night NASCAR fans stay tuned NASCAR live is on the way next and I will talk to you tomorrow at seven o'clock this has been the nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR
3: baseball is
2: back